Let's pause in prayer as we ready our hearts to receive his word. Let's pray together. Lord, speak and let us listen. And in listening, strengthen us to obey. That we might live the life that you have purposed for us. That honours you, blesses us and others. To the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Galatians 5, 23 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Last week, we began a series of studies on the fruit of the Spirit when Scott helped us think about the love that is inevitably created through the indwelling presence of God by his Holy Spirit in the hearts of his children. It could be said that the other eight elements, joy, peace, patience and so on, are merely reflections or expressions of that love. And if we want to think in a helpful way about the fruit of the Spirit, it's better not to think of a basket of fruit with apples, oranges, bananas, but, but rather to think as one orange with eight segments, or perhaps a bunch of nine grapes in one cluster. For the fruit of the Spirit are not nine different things, but rather one thing expressed or experienced in nine different ways. It is the presence of Christ in the life of the believer, as the characteristics of Christ-likeness are revealed. And if you have one of these aspects of the indwelling presence of God in your life, then you ought to have them all. Thus, if you are loving and joyful and yet still impatient, there is something amiss in your life. So while this morning we are focusing specifically on joy, always remember that it has love and peace, faithfulness and self-control smeared all over it. We cannot draw clear lines of demarcation between these things. And while I'll be roving around a little as we consider this theme, it will be helpful for you to have the text of 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 9 open. Hopefully I'll always be able to find my way back to that. So let's think about the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I think it's fair to say that we Presbyterians are not known for our joyfulness. We're sometimes called the frozen chosen. In an article by David Robertson, formerly Minister of St. Peter's in Dundee, he said this. The definition of a Calvinist as being a person who is miserable at the thought that someone somewhere is actually enjoying themselves is sadly all too typical of the popular misconception of forms of reformed Christianity today. And that article continues to claim that if we are miserable at our human condition, if we complain, moan and have a spirit of bitterness, it is not because of our Christianity. It is in defiance of it. Christians, even Presbyterian Christians are necessarily joyful. But you will realise that such a statement needs to be qualified. It needs to be unpacked. Joy needs to be defined and its true source discovered. So let's begin by acknowledging that there is a, a falsely fabricated joy. 
There's an old story of a farmer who was driving his four by four with his faithful sheepdog on the seat next to him and a horse trailer on tow behind. And on a dangerous curve, he, he was forced off the road by an articulated lorry coming in the opposite direction and the jeep and the, the trailer tumbled into the field. It just so happened that first to arrive on the scene of the accident was a policeman who quickly assessed the damage. And when he saw the poor horse suffering terribly because of its injuries, he, he pulled out his service revolver and put it out of, his, out of its misery. Next, the policeman walked over to the old collie, so badly injured in the accident and humanely ended the dog suffering with a single shot. Finally, he walked over to the farmer and asked, how you doing? The farmer was lying with his arm broken in three places, his leg badly mangled, blood pouring from everywhere. And he looked up at the policeman and the smoking revolver in his hand and very quickly replied, couldn't be happier, never felt better in my life. We live in a world where people are intent on falsely fabricating joy. They want to deceive others or even at times themselves. And to suggest that every day is filled with an endless string of reasons to be cheerful. A study recently conducted by the University of Pittsburgh across uh, various social media platforms, including Twitter and Facebook, Instagram and so on, discovered that frequent users of these sites are far more likely to be unhappy than only occasional users. In fact, the chances of someone experiencing unhappiness increased by a factor of three if they visit these networks more than 58 times per week. But such false joy is not exclusively pursued in the virtual world. It is often attempted through anesthetizing oneself from the realities of life by turning to alcohol or drugs or through compulsive eating or shopping for new treats that you hope will bring joy into your life. As Trevor said to the boys and girls, the new quickly becomes old. Fads fade. Your bright, shiny new car, if you drive 10,000 miles per year, will have lost 60% of its value after three years. John Ross Macduff was a Church of Scotland minister in the 1800s. And he wrote this, tell the men of the world and let them see by your example and spirit that Christianity is not the gloomy thing they imagine, that a life of holiness is a life of real happiness, of happiness for time and for eternity. But oh, tell them there is something gloomy, the joy which blazes for a moment like a dazzling meteor and then vanishes forever. The hopes which are dependent upon worldly possessions and worldly pleasures. Falsely fabricated joy is not the answer. It blazes for a moment like a dazzling meteor and then vanishes forever. Pretending things are better than they really are can never satisfy the human heart. So what then is the answer? Where is true joy to be found? 
And I want to suggest to you that it is a faith-fueled joy that we have been created by God to savor. It's not what you experience, it's not what you see, but it is what you believe that supplies and sustains your joy. Ellie Jane read to us from 1 Peter chapter 1, and there in verses 8 and 9, the apostle writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The famed minister of Westminster Chapel, G. Campbell Morgan, once said, Seeing is not believing, seeing is seeing. Believing is being confident without seeing. The Christian's joy is not a denial of the difficulty of the present circumstances, but it is the assurance that there is better by far beyond. And the trials that are endured in this time are preparing us for an experience of the pleasures that are yet to be. As we read in, in 1 Peter 1, 4, there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let me use an illustration. Some of you will have endured severe toothache. Eventually, you get the appointment to see the dentist. Help at last, you think. And then the very first thing that the dentist does is to stick a needle into your gum. And in that moment, you are no longer worried about your, your sore tooth. The agony of this numbing injection makes you forget all about it. But this is a good pain. It is short-lived suffering. And while perhaps you don't rejoice at this new pain, you understand that it is the first step on the journey to the place where your toothache will be resolved. Peter writes here, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Confident in Christ, loving the one who first loved you, you have reason for joy since your faith rests in the promise of the ever faithful, ever sure Saviour. Look down again at the passage, verses 4 and 5 tell us that the inheritance is kept safe for the believer and the believer is kept safe for the inheritance. There is a faith-fueled joy, which is also a future founded joy. We have to understand the difference between Christian joy, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and temporal happiness. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness relates to circumstances. Joy relates to certainties. Happiness is temporary. Joy is permanent. Happiness, as the word suggests, is determined by happening. Whereas true joy is only to be found in having a saving relationship with Jesus and is therefore unchanged irrespective of what happens in and around your life. As Horatio Spafford wrote in the midst of incredible personal suffering and loss, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. Spafford wrote these words, although he had lost his business and he had lost his children in two terrible tragedies. But he could rejoice in what Peter calls these various trials, verse 6, because what was of supreme importance to him was that it was well with his soul. You remember when the 72 excited disciples returned to Jesus following their successful mission trip? And Luke tells us that they returned with joy. Why? Because the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And Jesus shares in their joy in that moment. But then he redirects their gaze, encouraging them to have confidence in a more certain source of joy. When he says in Luke 10 and verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus tells them to have a future founded joy. Their names are written in heaven. Their place in glory is reserved and waiting for them. The Heidelberg Catechism begins with that wonderful question and answer when it asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Saviour in Jesus Christ. Question two follows. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And the answer is given three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. So do you know the greatness of your sin? And do you know the only way to be set free from sin and its accompanying misery? And if you've been set free, do you live as someone who is joy-filled and thankful for the grace of the gospel? The key to experiencing this future-founded joy is through the thankful response to this wonderful gospel message. Verse 9 again. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Only the saved can know this. They alone can experience the solid joys and lasting treasures that John Newton teaches us none but Zion's children know. Joy is faith-fueled, future-founded, and finally it's fused with faithfulness. Faithfulness-fused joy. There is a causal link between obedience and joy. And all around our text this morning, if you look down at your Bibles, you'll see that Peter refers to the obedience of the believers. See verse 2, verse 14, verse 22. Joy and obedience go hand in hand. Jesus said in, in John 15, verses 9 to 11, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to experience great joy, to be joyful. Indeed, he commands you to experience joy. But this is only possible if you live in obedience to his commandments. If you're living in disobedience to Christ, then your joy, if it's present at all, will be very shallow. Now, as we've been learning in Galatians, our obedience must never stem from a sense of duty. Rather, it springs from delight as we respond to the saving love of Christ that has been displayed towards us. As we recognize the wonder of the gift of salvation, then it is our joy to obey God's commands. And obedience to God's commands automatically brings us more joy. Matthew Henry said, Holy joy will be the oil to the wheels of our obedience. Joy is faith-fueled, future-founded, and fused with faithfulness. All this only possible through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. These things cannot be manufactured by human will and effort. You can know joy in life, but it is not the unshakable, unbreakable joy that is only as a result of God's saving power working in you. So let me ask you again. Do you know the greatness of your sin? Have you found the only way to be set free from sin and its accompanying misery in the only Saviour, Jesus Christ? And do you live as someone who is joy-filled and thankful for this amazing grace of the gospel? Unshakable, unbreakable joy is the result of believing in, belonging to and becoming like Jesus. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, Nehemiah said to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And by this he meant your, your shelter, your security, your salvation, your place of protection. May you know the joy of the Lord and rejoice in it in every day. Let's pray together.